The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I'm here. We're both complaining about our ailments uh, as we get this podcast um, tuned up and ready to go. Tommy wrote a column. He wants to talk about that. I put out a poll this morning on the radio show. I want to talk about that. Ron Rivera said a couple of things. We'll get to that. Um, my ailment that I was complaining to Tommy about, and per usual, then he just tried to one-up me um, instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I hope you feel better, is I woke up with a migraine this morning. I'm prone to migraines. Uh, this was not an issue for me my entire life, um, but I woke up with a bad migraine. I did the radio show this morning. Uh, with some Excedrin migraine in my system um, and some coffee, which I know is not r- the greatest thing for a migraine, but um, sometimes it can also uh, go the other way, I found. And Tommy immediately said, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, I, I have another cold, which I said I'd pay for your cold to get rid of this migraine. I would. I, right now, Actually, I would pay you. I thought... 50 bucks to get your cold for my migraine. I thought my effort was a case of sympathy. No, it wasn't. Okay. It was a, it was a one-up that's, thing. Actually, that's right, which that's is, right out of your playbook. <laughs> no, it's not. That's totally out of your playbook. That's right out of your playbook. Oh and listen, I do sympathize with you. I mean, I've never had a migraine. I know how difficult and painful they can be and debilitating. So let me express my sympathy. Yeah, right. Uh, and let me just point out that I never get headaches. Never. Mm. Not a one. Do you want to hear something funny, actually? It's not funny. It's just ha-ha interesting. funny? It's interesting. No, it's not even ha-ha funny. So I may have told you about this a long time ago. Not the part of this that I'm going to tell you about, but... About 10 years ago, no, it was longer than that because I was doing the show with Riggins. I got an email because we weren't even on Twitter at that point. I got an email from a woman who said, "If you, do you remember when, when I was doing the show with Riggins and Gary Braun that it was televised on yeah. Masson? So, oh, yeah. So I got... I used th- to watch and laugh. So I, got, so I got this email from this woman who said, um, I'm wondering if this 
is the Kevin Sheehan who went to Woodacres Elementary School in the 1970s. And I resp- uh, and her and she signed it Lorraine Kemp. And I, of course, knew that was my first grade teacher. So I immediately responded back, oh, my God, Mrs. Kemp, it is me. Of course I remember you. You're, you're, you're the first teacher I ever actually ever remember. And um, we ended up getting together for lunch, a lunch that included my sister and mother because she taught my sister. And my mother was like a room mother you know, um, that you get in elementary schools. And uh, Mrs. Kemp um, remembered my mother and remembered my sister. And to make a long story short, we ended up getting together uh, for lunch with her. And she said something to me during that lunch. She said, one of the things I remember about you, um, and you know, in addition to you being incredibly bright uh, and talented, um, was... (laughs) No, she said, she said, one of the things I remember about you is you used to get really, really awful headaches. And I said, wow, because I did remember that as a kid. And then I didn't really, I've always gotten headaches, um, but never like in the last five, six years, I've definitely developed more of a migraine issue. It was diagnosed as migraines. Um, and so, um, and by the way, they did say it's hereditary and they said, you've probably had some form of this your whole life. And I said, I've gotten a lot, you know, I've gotten headaches a lot, but usually I'll just pop in some Advil or something and I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but she remembered that she remembered. And, and so I said, that's amazing. Yeah. You must've must been, it must've been bad for her to remember. Yeah. Like I was not a sickly child by any stretch of the imagination, but she said, I just remember you used to get these really vicious headaches. And, uh, I said, wow, you know what, Tommy, I think back then, I mean, everybody smoked. My mother and father were smokers, you know, and then they weren't. Um, but they were when I was a kid, when I was a young kid, they were, And do you know that even to this day, if I'm in a room filled with cigarette smoke, not cigar smoke, not weed, but, but cigarette smoke, I will get a vicious headache. So I think it was all the, you know, the secondhand smoke back then shit. Like if you, if you were a kid and a child of the seventies, like I was, or before, no matter where you went, restaurants, your house, sporting events, it was always smoke-filled rooms inside. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm trying to think back uh, to, well, I, I grew up, fortunately, uh, my mother didn't smoke, and my father smoked cigars, but he wouldn't smoke them in the house. So uh, I was not exposed to that, fortunately. And I don't remember being around smoke that much because I was outside most of the time. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like our teachers smoked in class. No, they didn't do that. But uh, inside in in our house, there were, I mean, there were ashtrays everywhere. I remember, you know, certainly in, in every house I was in, there was ashtrays. There was always smoking. Tommy, if you go back and watch sporting events from the 70s, indoor sporting events, you can see the smoke haze. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You watch like a, a Knicks game from the 70s or a fight, <laughs> yeah, especially right. a fight. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's basically how, 
how they described arenas, smoke, smoke-filled arenas. Now that's, that's the way they describe them. I do recall, and even to this day, other like I can be sitting in a room with you smoking a cigar and a bunch of people smoking cigar, and it doesn't bother me. It's cigarette smoke that bothers me. I've never smoked cigarettes. Well, I did. You did for how I long? Told you the story. Uh, I started when I was eight and quit when I was twelve. <laughs> That's well, when I was 12 or, you know, 11, 12, I remember, you know, smoking cigarettes and, you know, goofing around with that stuff. But I never liked smoking cigarettes. When I, we were smoking, me and my friend Tommy Lenti would somehow get a hold of cigarettes and, and smoke them, hide somewhere like behind a stoop and smoke them in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And apparently the word got out that we were doing this. We were like eight or nine. And there was like another group of about 15, 16-year-old juvenile delinquents that kind of ruled the block. You know, they were kind of like gangsters and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but they, but I guess they kind of watched, thought they were watching out for us. Because one time where Tommy and I are walking down the street, and all of a sudden these guys pull up in front of, in a car. Oh, uh, you've told me grab this story. Us yeah. Th- yeah, yeah, throw us in the car. <laughs> right, you and told me for, this story. for 45 minutes, they threaten us. You know, if they catch us smoking again, and these are these are criminals. <laughs> you told you so told I totally me thought story. that was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, uh, no sympathies. By the way, uh, I'm required. amazed that you remember your your uh, elementary school teachers. I don't remember any of mine. Mrs. Kemp in first grade, Miss Custer in second grade, Miss Young in third grade, Mrs. Jones wow. in fourth grade. Mrs. Jones was a smoke show. Like, all the boys loved Mrs. Jones in fourth grade. Fifth grade was Mrs. Leaning. Sixth grade was Miss Venisi. And then you start in middle school, which we called junior high school, seventh grade, was then, you know, you had, you know, lots of different teachers. I do remember, I I do remember a lot of my high school teachers. So do I. But I went to a Catholic grade school, which meant most of my teachers were sadists. Right. So okay. I don't particularly remember. I bet any you were. I bet you were in the corner chair a lot with the dunce cap on. Oh no, there was no corner chair. Did with you the get dunce paddled? Cap. There, there. Oh, no, please! I got my head bounced off the blackboard. Mm. No, you, no, no. I had sadists. You know, in some ways, to be honest with you. I would have preferred to have gone to Catholic school than had to go to CCD, which I did every, you know, once a week. God, I hated CCD. <laughs> As a Catholic kid going to public school, you had to go to CCD, which I did until until I was confirmed. And once I was confirmed, then I think I stopped going to CCD. And I get you get confirmed in like seventh grade, right? It was like seventh or eighth grade you yeah. got confirmed. Yeah, I got confirmed in sixth grade. Yeah. What was your confirmation name? Uh, oh my God, I think it was my middle name, Michael. I think I, I think so it was the exact it, it, same middle name that I have, Michael. So it's it's Kevin Michael Michael. Um, is that it? Would that is that not correct? Would I've had to pick a separate name? Because if that's true, yeah. I don't I don't remember what it was. You don't remember your confirmation name? Uh, I don't. But you remember all your teachers. <laughs> I, I, I do. I mean, okay. I, I, I don't. What, you would have had to pick an, a, a name of a saint, right? Yeah, mine was David. I picked David. I have no idea why. Michael was a saint, so maybe that's why 
I. But David wasn't my middle name too. I had a different middle name. Okay. Thomas Francis David Lavera. Got it. I don't remember. I don't remember what my um. I don't remember what my uh, confirmation I name bet was. Your, I bet you your. I bet your dad remembers. I bet you my father remembers his confirmation name, but I bet you he doesn't remember mine. Okay. Okay. That would be my guess. Okay. Because uh, he went to Catholic school all the yeah. way through, but I don't think he would remember mine. That was a point, anyways. It, it was seventh grade c- confirmation, and I don't. Th- yeah, there was a whole lot going on in my family. Anyway, I don't think anybody remembered anything that was going on at the <laughs> time. But that's another story for another day. Um, the story that I have for you, uh, that I will share with you right now, is that the tallest man in the world passed away. Did you read this story? No, I didn't. Actually, not in the in the world in the United States. Igor Vovokinsky, the tallest man in the United States, died yesterday. He was 38 years old. Rest in peace, peace, Igor. He was Ukrainian-born. He was the tallest man in the U.S. that was was alive, the tallest uh, alive man in the U.S., at 7 feet 8.33 inches. So he was 7'8.33 inches. And there was, apparently he's been a celebrity of sorts, to be honest with you. I've I never heard of him, but he's been on a lot of shows. Apparently he was a big uh, Barack Obama um, supporter and was in a lot of various campaign events for Obama. Um, but the one part of the story that I, I just found incredible was in 2012, he issued a plea to cover the estimated $16,000 that it cost for specially made shoes that wouldn't cause him terrible pain. At the time, he said he hadn't owned a pair of shoes for years that was the appropriate size. The appropriate size being a size 26 shoe. Have wow. you ever heard of a shoe that big? No. No, I never have. A size 26, and by the way, the width was 10E. Reebok ended up designing the shoe. He got thousands okay. donated. Reebok to designed the shoe. Um, but anyway, uh, I've never heard of a shoe size that large. I, I don't think he was much of an athlete. I'd never heard of him as a, you know, God, it's at, at seven eight. You'd think at twenty, and he was 30, 38 years old. That at some point somebody said, "We're just going to throw him on the team and just see what happens." You would think so at some point. The second tallest man in the world is a third in the U.S. Excuse me, I'm sorry, in the United States, is one third inch shorter, and he's a sheriff's deputy in Virginia. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Imagine being pulled over by that guy. No. Okay. Um, what do you want to start with today? Are we are we done with the circus sideshow? Yeah, we're done with that. What do you want to start okay. with today? I think you want to start with your column because you're proud of this column that you wrote. I can tell because I'm proud of it. Well, because you sent me something that said 
uh, I really want you to read, but you should read my column before we do the show tomorrow. And I did. I read the column. Right. It's well, a- I, I would generally think that would be the case for most of the columns I write since we do a show together. <laughs> yes, I try, I try. I try to read your columns. You know, I would prefer the reminder because you don't write every day. And, right. and, you know, I prefer the link that doesn't force me to do whatever I need to do to get, you know, a version of the website that doesn't take 45 minutes to get through. But whatever. Um, this is a good column. This is a very good column by Tommy. I, I already well, know a couple you. of the parts that you're really proud of. You want me to, before you tell everybody what the column is. Actually, you tell okay, everybody what the ahead, column is, and then I'll tell you well, what I, the, the lines that I think you're really proud of. Okay, I wrote a column uh, kind of tied to Deshaun Watson and what he's going through and pointing out, you know, facetiously that he didn't carefully study the NFL Predators Guide uh, that they hand out at league meetings, which, you know, the most important part of that is the non-disclosure agreement followed by the settlement of silence. I mean, it's, it's, it's what owners Settlement of silence. Jerry, silence, he said. Yes, yeah. silence. It's what Jerry Richardson used to basically protect himself from any kind of criminal proceedings in, in, in Carolina. What we know in Carolina is what Sports Illustrated told us about several cases of sexual harassment that were settled, uh, the victims never speaking because of a non-disclosure agreement as part of the settlement, and also a case where a, an African-American a scout was, was uh, racially slurred by uh, Richardson as well. We wouldn't know any of that if it wasn't for Sports Illustrated. And uh, I pointed out that I had never read this before until recently, that Mary Jo White, the former uh, federal uh, attorney uh, who investigated Carolina for the NFL, went to Roger Goodell and said, look, you got to get rid of these NDAs. I mean, everywhere I went, I ran into these non-disclosure agreements You've got to have the NFL make some kind of provision that in cases involving, you know, sexual harassment or, or similar harassment, that owners can't, can't engage in these non-disclosure agreements. And Roger apparently just said, thank you, Mary, and stuck it in a drawer and left it there because it's the very same thing that Dan Snyder used a couple years later to stop Beth Wilkinson from getting anywhere in her probe. So the point of the column at the end was uh, all these government jurisdictions, Maryland, Virginia, uh, D.C., can have an impact possibly on this in the future by telling Dan Snyder, if you want any help with a stadium, uh, infrastructure, any help whatsoever, you're going to have to make a pledge that you won't use non-disclosure agreements uh, in cases involving sexual harassment. Simple right. as that. It's their money. They can do whatever they want. Sure. They, can, they can put any kind of provision they want in any kind of agreement. And I pointed out, my feeling is that Dan Snyder's not going to be, is going to be a beggar uh, looking for a stadium, not an extortionist. So I don't think he's going to have a lot of leverage. So, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of these politicians you know, all of a sudden says, well, you know, sounds like a pretty good idea. I mean, it would make them popular, 
with uh, a lot of their constituents to basically come down on Dan Snyder's hiding behind these non-disclosure agreements. So that was my column. And I know I, I can tell you which, which line you're going to pick out first. Go ahead. The uh, Jason Wright line. Now that's a good one. That was on my list. Uh, okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll go there qu- real quickly because Tommy points out, as he has on the podcast before, that you know um, Ron Rivera uh, recently told Sports Illustrated that since his bout with cancer and the circumstances he was put in last season during a tumultuous Washington season, he has, quote, found his voice, closed quote. As a person, I've become a little more, more of an advocate on things, he said. Um, and Tommy writes, let's hope so. He certainly didn't have it in Carolina when after the news surfaced about the allegations against Richardson, including the racial slurs against one of his scouts, the coach led a cheer for the owner after a playoff win against Tampa. Now, if I were your editor um, on this, I would have corrected one thing. It's not a big deal, but they never had a playoff win against Tampa. But don't worry about it. That's a, a minor point and, and is, is, uh, is insignificant to the story. And then you write, What about Wright's voice? The former NFL player and McKinsey consultant recently told ESPN that, quote, Dan has built his business by being a classic entrepreneur and having the big idea and then trusting people to execute and build the infrastructure, closed quote. That's such a ridiculous, Tommy writes, that's such a ridiculous comment that he could actually be a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) Now, again, if I were your editor... I think I would have added some some context for that line because I don't know that every. I let it. I let it lay. I I know some people get it. Some people won't. Right. I just let it lay. Okay. Well, I mean, I laughed because the Wall Street Journal, you know, basically put out a propaganda piece on the whole Beth Wilkinson investigation a few w- weeks back. I mean, it was it was a joke. And t- and Tommy called it out as such, and, and I agreed with him. So I, I enjoyed that. I think, um, hold on, let me scroll back to the beginning to find the other areas um, that I liked. Because, I, I mean, when you talk about Beth Wilkinson, um, you know, when you love, you love this, I know you did, league mouthpiece Beth Wilkinson reportedly ran into brick walls because of these protections, the NDA protections, particularly the one that was the $1.6 million settlement paid in 2009 to a woman who claimed she was sexually harassed on an airplane flight with Snyder. This is basically don't tell the truth money. Which is true. But I know you like referring to her as a league mouthpiece because nobody else really thought of her that way. Most people thought of Beth Wilkinson as independent, even though she was working for the team and then the league. And then, you know, you bring up Lisa Friel and you write, insti- um, you know, the latest, first of all, following the Beth Wilkinson stuff, you update everybody on where, you know, the investigation went, which was the $10 million fine, yada, 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 and the, you know, the so-called suspend, uh, temporary banishment that, wink, wink, it, by the way, he was not suspended, but whatever, Um you write, instead, there was a statement by league legal flunky Lisa Friel 
that included this. The culture of the club was very toxic, and it fell far short of the NFL's values, and we hold ownership to a higher standard. Calling Friel a league flunky might seem a bit harsh. After all, she was a former prosecutor in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and headed their sex crimes unit for almost 10 years. In the NFL, she might as well be part of the cleaning crew. They don't seem to be very impressed with these legal legals once they get them on the payroll and use their resumes to create the illusion of responsibility and transparency. And that is a really, really um, good point and totally believable. Now, I don't think Ted Wells really was, you know, ultimately proven to have created the illusion of like some no. sort of first-rate report. But there's no doubt that Beth Wilkinson and the hiring of Lisa Freeland, by the way, you didn't point out the hiring of Kathy Lanier, you know, which you've pointed yes. out many times before. And yes, I have. I, and I don't know whether or not Kathy Lanier, the former, you know, po- police commissioner in D.C., I don't know what kind of job she's doing or isn't doing. Do you for the league? No, I don't. But all I know is when she was hired – she made a big deal about changing the perception of how the NFL handled women. Right. Uh, not handled, about how the NFL treated women. Yeah. Made a big deal about it. And she's been silent through all this. And she knows what happened in D.C., obviously. She knows what's been going on in, in Washington, D.C., haven't been a police chief here for years. Now, I have a question for you that I don't know the answer to. I think I know the answer to it, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, And before I I ask you this question, uh, let me just say that in my experience before broadcasting, non-disclosure agreements are really difficult to enforce. They're enforceable by law. But as a practical matter, they're difficult to enforce unless somebody's really like um, spilled the beans on something super proprietary. But anyway, um, getting back to the question I have for you, didn't Washington, the team, release all of these women from their NDAs and the real significant holdup was with anybody like this $1.6 million um, woman who was on the flight back from Vegas from whatever award show they were at, that that was a that was a settlement. That was a confidentiality agreement in a settlement that was paid far different from an NDA. But I thought I the team had released a lot of these women from their NDAs. All I can say is, and I don't know what's been reported. I don't recall ever seeing that in any kind of report, but I have had contact with several employees who have worked for the organization who said they would like to talk, but they're prevented to by NDAs. Hmm. You know, so, and a lot I of these... my personal experience. I, I, you know, I, I don't have personal experience with this kind of thing necessarily, um, certainly not firsthand, but... You know, some of these NDAs, a lot of these women perhaps, I'm not going to say a lot, I would bet you that some percentage of these women stand behind these NDAs and use them themselves as a reason not to speak because they don't feel comfortable speaking. I would think some of them do. 
The, I um, think some, some of them do do that. But I thought the team released a lot of these women from these NDAs, which is why Bill, Beth Wilkinson was allowed to speak to them. I th- what I heard as this thing was winding down is that this flight on that plane, which resulted in a $1.6 million settlement, which, by the way, was paid by an insurance company, not the team. Um, the team had some sort of insurance policy against this stuff, and the insurance company deemed it to be coverable um, for whatever reason. And then there was, um, you know, a declaration by the woman um, that there was no wrongdoing by the team. And then obviously there was a significant amount of, you know, nobody's talking uh, vis-a-vis this confidentiality um, agreement that was associated with it. And that that is what Beth Wilkinson really wanted to get to the bottom of. That that there was some thought that if they got to the bottom of that, then the owner might be in trouble. And by the way, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. It's not because necessarily he was directly responsible for the harassment, but that as the senior, you know, presence on that plane, as the most authority um, on the plane, that perhaps he didn't do anything to stop it. I don't know. That, all that, all that may be the case. Yeah, I mean, I all that may may be the case. I mean, part of the point of the column is for people not to forget what happened. Yeah, okay. I don't. Where where are look? You have been very close to the stadium story. You've you've had reports on the the um, you know updating people on the status of the team's conversations with the three different areas: D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Where do you think it is right now? Because if they don't have a deal soon, they're not going to have a stadium in 2027. Well, to be honest with you, I don't. I haven't talked to anyone in the district in a while. Uh, I'm assuming that Jason Wright has worked to uh, repair the bridges that that Dan Snyder had basically. Well, there were no bridges in the district. He had no friends, as I was told by somebody high up uh, in in the district. There was nobody there who particularly cared a lick about Dan Snyder. I'm assuming that Jason Wright has worked to to try to fix that. Uh, There were some talks. Uh, with the state of Maryland that went nowhere. Uh, Virginia is kind of in flux because you don't know who the next governor is. Right. Uh, Terry McAuliffe has, uh, had previously been very vocal in his support. Yeah, he can't be now. Stadium. He can't be now, can no. he be? No, he can't be. Yeah. He, he can't be now. Uh, and all this was before the, the Dan Snyder, uh, the, the, the Washington football scandal came out. I might want to point out. Look, I still think he's going to wind up building a stadium right next to the old one. And like I said, that's that, there's no shame in that. The Giants did that. The Eagles did that. Yeah, they but, built one right next door. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. And the Giants stadium is terrible to get to. But you, it's a but, terrible location. But, but, Tommy, would you agree with me? Well, certainly there's no debating this with respect to down, you know, to Manhattan. But, you know, D.C. does have a geographic layout, including the RFK site, um, which would allow for, you know, a stadium to be built in, in town. 
And I don't know. I, I think there's a missed, a huge missed opportunity. I'm sure they've run the numbers of what, you know, retail and commercial and all sorts of, you know, development around a stadium downtown would mean. And I'm sure the stadium, uh, the city understands that too. Uh, there was... God, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, finish your thought because I just remind me to mention to you about the season ticket base. Okay, uh, well, and I pointed this out before. I know I'm repeating myself, but in the RFK neighborhood, has changed dramatically. Yes, it has since there was a football stadium there. That Capitol Hill RFK neighborhood is pretty much filled with lobbyists, it's... congressional staffers. Yep. And lawyers, yeah, it, it. and they know they know how to fight city hall. I mean, they would be a very formidable group if they don't want a football stadium in their neighborhood. Right. So they'll have an uphill fight in the neighborhood, even if the city does get behind it. Yeah, I mean, it's so true, and most of you know this, um, but for those that don't and haven't been back to RFK since 1996, you know, when it shut down, that neighborhood's completely different, as, by the way, most of our city's of neighborhoods city. yes. um, are. Um, it is much more affluent uh, real estate uh, at various times. It's gone through the roof down there, and... Um, and Tommy's right. It's a completely different, um, you know, area. Uh, so I, I guess that's true. So I wanted to mention. No, go ahead. Tell me about the season. season yeah. So, um, you know, uh, the actual game book that's, you know, the NFL puts out after a game, including a preseason game, the official game book that has the official yeah. statistics and everything in there. Um, by the way, that's where, you know, when we talk snap counts during the season, that's where all of us get the snap counts. It comes officially from the NFL's media game book, which are the official statistics of an NFL game. Well, um, what's included in the official statistics of an NFL game are attendance numbers. And the um, many people have told me who were there. I shouldn't say many people because I didn't know many people were there. But I did know three people who were there on Friday night. And netting it out, all three of them said there's, it, there probably weren't more than 10,000 people in the stadium. However, Tommy, the paid attendance number, the paid attendance, not the actual attendance, but the paid attendance was listed as 38,817. So if you do a little back of the envelope math on that and you say, all right, let's just say there were 10,000 there and 3,000 of them were walk up, you know, paid just for the tickets. That means there are 35,000 season ticket holders. That's it. Because season ticket holders are also required to buy the preseason games. So that is not a very big number. That's less than half capacity. I, I believe I don't know what the capacity is going to be this year. I it was I think it was seventy two in twenty nineteen, seventy two thousand. Okay. It might be into the sixties okay. now. Who knows? From you know, the high of ninety two thousand or wherever it was back in two thousand ten or two thousand twelve or whatever. Um the point is, they got they, they're going to have to earn it, and they got a long way to go. I think that the opener will get a decent crowd, fifty thousand plus, maybe sixty. I doubt it will be a sellout. Um, it would be really hard to to basically double your season ticket base with walk up 
traffic, you know, or same day tickets sold. Um, but um, I was reminded of this with you talking about the stadium. And then also this tweet put out by Charles Leno. You know who Charles Leno is, don't you? Charles, yes. Charles he's, Leno. Uh, he's, got, he's a tackle on, the, on Washington, right? He is the starting left tackle right now for your yes. Washington football team. Yesterday he put out a tweet. Each week that the Washington football team has a home game, I will personally be giving away two tickets. Head over to the Instagram account at Beyond the Entertainer to see how to win this week's tickets. Now, the well, t- I'm sure he thinks he's doing something very noble. Well, I'm wondering if you know the team has said to the players. By the way, it's a good idea. If they've said to the players, look, if you have a difficult time giving away your allotted tickets, as apparently many did on Friday night, and again, I'm not, trust me, I'm not going overboard on a preseason game, Cincinnati, Friday night. I understand that's a tough ask. I'm just telling you that Washington, very likely, and I didn't go compare, had by far and away the smallest preseason crowd of places that were allowing, you know, um, capacity crowds of anybody in the league. And I think it is a bit of an indication of what we could get here early in the season. And I think the back of the envelope math is probably pretty accurate on the actual season ticket base, which is probably roughly 50% of capacity, which isn't good for an NFL team. Now, whatever. I think we all know how they got there, and maybe they're going to be able to earn everybody back. But I think it would be a good strategy for the business people, Jason Wright, to go to the players because the players get a certain number of tickets for every home game. I don't know what what it is. It used to be, I think, six. I don't know what it is now. You know, I might want to point out they have to pay taxes on those tickets. I know they do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That... It would be a good idea to say to them, look, if you end up having a difficult time giving the tickets away, we want our players to be active in marketing these home games. You know, and giving away two tickets, you know, from a player, there are a lot of people that, oh, that's that's really cool. And by the way, there's also probably the uh, perception that the players' tickets are pretty good tickets. Listen. Uh, if they think they're going to have a good product this year, which they might, which they might have, uh-huh. getting people into the stadium should be their first priority. If the product is as good as they think it could be, some of them will come back and pay for it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think the league actually did them a bit of a favor um, with some early home games. You know, I, a couple of years ago, I remember thinking. Um, you know, they were trying to help them out uh, early. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go uh, pull up the schedule because it's, it's escaping my memory right now on what the schedule in 2019 was because I think it was 2019. 2019, the schedule came out. And, um, yeah, this was the one. The league did them a huge solid in 2019, if you recall. The first uh, three home games were Dallas, Chicago, in the Patriots. Because if you recall in 2018, um, the first home game was Indianapolis on a beautiful September day after they had beaten Arizona in the opener with Adrian Peterson rushing for 100 yards and Alex Smith looking good. And there was some excitement. And they had 50,000. Yes, 
and a stadium. And a lot of them were Colts fans. And there were, who knew? Who knew on the Colts fans? So in 2019, they gave him Dallas, which, you know, for Snyder meant, okay, we're going to have close to a full house. Because Snyder at that point, had, had he was well past worrying about who was in his stadium. He just wanted people to pay to be in his stadium. And then that Chicago Bear fan base, which travels big time on a Monday night. And then the Patriots, first three home games. So this year, they've given them two home games to start. The Chargers are a pretty good opponent. Now, they're not going to get a lot of you know, the opponent's fans there. And then you get the Giants in week, you know, four nights later. So it's two home games. It's better than opening up with two road games and coming home. Like, what if their their first two road games were Buffalo and Green Bay and they came home 0-2? At least they're giving them a right. chance before, you know, you know what kind of team. And again, I think there's legitimate reasons to be optimistic about what they could be this year. I mean, they're not, you know what? They're not going to stink. Famous last words. No, they're not. They they shouldn't I don't stink think they, this I, year. I don't think they are. Look, I did your poll today. Look, you want to talk about your poll? Yeah, you we'll, did we'll get on, to that. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to that in the second okay. segment. It, but is, did okay. you have anything else on this? Uh, no. Okay. I, I've said, I, like I said, I think. Look, I've always been a fan of getting. If if you think you've got, if you if you don't have anything worthwhile, then you're screwed. No matter what kind of promotions you come up with. But if you think you've got something that's worth watching, you pretty much do whatever you have to to get them in the stadium. And then you let, you let things take over from there. Yeah, and I, I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, I'm not going to pay for a ticket. I have zero interest in paying for a ticket this year. Um, and, you know, depending on whether, you know, I could see myself going to a game. 2019 was the first year in my life, uh, other than as a super a young child, that I didn't go to a game. Um, and they sucked, obviously. I could definitely see this year as an example, you know, if that Chiefs game October 17th against Mahomes and company, that would be a pretty cool game to go to. Uh, Brady and the Bucks back here in November, that could be a big game. And then there's some massive division games potentially at the end of the year. Um, I don't see myself paying um, to go, uh, but, you know, whatever. Uh, um, I don't know why I brought this. Oh, what I was going to say is I whatever they need to do to get people in the stands, whatever the marketing program is, to your point, if they believe in their product and they believe in whatever upgrades they've made to the stadium to make it easier, to make it more fan-friendly, which I don't care about that crap. I just want them to win. I go to watch the game and root for my team to win. I don't care about all the other stuff. Um, You know, other sporting events, I care about that stuff. Um, But this isn't the the one. I just – I I go there in in hopes of of them winning. Also, by the way, real quickly, I want them to have a good home crowd this year because there's nothing better than if your team's really good on defense – and you have a really good home environment to back that up. That can really be impactful on games. If your defense is really good, and then the crowd's there to make it even more difficult on the opposing offense, you got a chance. You got a really good chance for a, go- a great yeah. environment, too. Uh, we'll see, though. Okay. Well, um, let's not get nuts here. Yeah. Uh, 
Dan Marino loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. You'll hear what he said. Uh, a couple of things from Ron Rivera yesterday and the poll I put out, which Tommy just referenced, all after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. anybody in particular who you say through the first two preseason games they've really flashed you've loved what you've seen so far well um uh number 35 and number 30 35 on both sides of the ball has flashed for us to be honest with you real happy with that um 18 84 uh, our guys that caught our attention um we want to see a little bit more out of uh, 80 you know unfortunately him you know going into protocol Last week, we didn't get a chance to see him this week. We would have loved to have seen him because uh, he's done some really good things. Um, several of the offensive linemen. I mean, we've got some really good, young, talented guys that have, have really played well, um, and, and we want to watch, watch them some more. And they'll play a lot. Um, you know, we're looking at the, uh, the, the backup depth at, at the defensive line. I mean, those guys have got to step up. So we want to watch those guys very closely as well. That was Ron Rivera, Tommy talking about the players that have impressed him in the first two preseason games, and he just started ripping off numbers, jersey numbers, like he was Doc Walker. Um, well, which, at least he didn't do a spurrier and get the names wrong. That's true. Yeah, old, old Darnarian McCants. What, what was it, Darnarian <laughs> McCants? Um, yeah. And uh, who was the player, the Raiders defensive end, that ended up passing away? And when they signed him, he said, well, at least he's not in jail. 
Um, <laughs> do you know uh, the, the uh, SEC Network was running one of these? That was Darren Russell. Daryl Russell. Daryl Russell. Daryl Russell, exactly. Yes, Daryl Russell. The SEC Network was running this college football 150, 150 years of college football, which came out a few years ago, and it was called Saturdays in the South, and it's a five-part, maybe five-part, four, five, six-part series on just the SEC, and it's so great. And when they get to the decade of the 90s, so much of it is about Spurrier and just everybody (laughs) in the SEC, not just Florida Gator fans, but everybody loved Spurrier. Um, But anyway, uh, for those of you without, you know – your game day book uh, with rosters, uh, without your program, with with jersey numbers. Let me tell you who he was talking about. Uh, first of all, the the 35s on offense, that would be, of course, Jarrett Patterson. And on defense, that would be the cornerback, Torrey McHire, who I actually thought played pretty well the other night as well. Pa- Patterson was the star of the game. And then he mentioned 30, Troy Apke. I mentioned him on the podcast yesterday, and I mentioned him on the radio show with Ben yesterday, because I really thought Apke looked good on Friday night. Um, And so he talked about Apke, and then he was asked a follow-up question about Apke as well, and he said he's really making the adjustment to corner. You can tell, like I think a lot of the people that do these 53-man stuff uh, projections, I think a lot of people have been discounting Troy Apke. I wouldn't do that because he is, I think, a Ron Rivera um, guy. Um, 18 is Isaiah Wright. Remember him as a punt returner last year. 84 is Dax Milne, the receiver and punt returner. 80 is Samus Reyes, you know, the former basketball player who everybody's been raving about. And he said about Reyes, we need, you know, more out of him. Said the O-line looks great. Then he was talking about backup depth. Um, for the D-line. You know, when you're talking about backup depth on a question like that, I think you're talking about their backups, like their actual backups. Tim Settle, Matt Ioannidis, um, James Smith-Williams, Shaka Tony, some of the guys that people have been talking about making the team. Who knows? Maybe he's pointing out some of the other guys, including some of the guys that got cut today, including Justice Reed. Um, but you know, the five, four players that they've cut so far, they have not, uh, announced their fifth cut as we're sitting here doing the, the podcast. If that comes through, um, I'll tell you, in fact, just in case you're, you don't know the, the 85 down to 80 cut today, um, four of the five players, cornerback, Jordan, uh, Jordan Brown, offensive tackle, Rick Leonard, linebacker, Justin Phillips and defensive tackle, Justice Reed. I don't know who the fifth will be, but anyway, um, uh, you know, maybe he's looking for more out of their backup D lineman, which would include Settle and Ionitis. You know, we we keep talking about the D line, strength of the football team, the deepest part of the football team potentially. So maybe he's looking for more out of Ionitis and Settle. Ionitis missed a lot of time, right, Tommy? I mean, he had the COVID. Yeah, he had. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, he was their best defensive lineman. Who Ionitis? When he was healthy. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you believe that. Well, because it's true. He was really good. He's really strong. He's really strong. I um, One of the trainers on the team who I know um, told me last year, Ioannidis and Kerrigan are the two strongest people on the team, and it's not that close in terms of just pure brute strength. 
Um, so, uh, and that, that's one of the reasons he had success. God, I want to, I want a healthy Matt Ioannidis from, from two years ago too. I mean, that would be awesome to have him in there. Uh, I think the, um, look, the roster is going to take shape. We're a week away from the cut down to 53. I mentioned yesterday, this will be the best 53 man roster this uh, team's had in a long, long time. I mentioned the 2000 team. I actually looked this up earlier today. Um, uh, in, uh, in 2000, that's the last time Tommy Washington had any significant preseason expectations. They don't have great preseason expectations this year either. Uh, let me just point that out. But the last time it's been 21 years since Washington went into a season with really high expectations odds wise, I went back to pro football reference. Washington was the second pick in the entire NFL to win the Super Bowl. The Rams were the favorites at plus 300. Washington was the second favorite at plus 350. And the highest over-under number on wins that year before the season started, Washington at 11 and a half. And that was it. You know, now it's, you know, 20, uh, the, the 21 years that have followed, um, they've never been anywhere close to being a pick to be a contender for the Super Bowl. The glory days. Well, that wasn't even the glory days. I mean, that was, you know, nine years after the glory days ended. I mean, we were. Oh, I know that. I'm being facetious. Yeah. I'm being facetious. Yeah, right. That was, you know. For this regime, the glory days, the promise of 2000. The promise of 2000 coming off a 1999 uh, impressive playoff run uh, and with all the high price uh, free agents that they got. There were tremendous promise that year you know i've said this so many times and some of you disagree with me which is fine um i as you know a lifelong fan and an observer of this football team i won't you know i won't call myself an astute observer but i'll just say an observer of this team i don't remember in 2000, in Dan Snyder's first full year of being the owner, in terms of having a first full offseason, because 99, he became the owner officially after everything had already been done for the 99 team. And the 99 team, without his fingerprints on it, went 10-6, and six, won a playoff game at home against Detroit, nearly beat Tampa Bay in a divisional round, lost 14-13. to 13. They were very close, if not for Dan and Matt Turk's snap and and botch snap um, at the end of uh, the Tampa game, they would have been in the NFC Championship game against the Rams, greatest show on turf. Um, that's as close to the NFC Championship game that Washington's been um, since 1992, the the year after the right. Super Bowl. Uh, but um, the uh, I don't I don't recall feeling like that off season of. Dion and Bruce Smith and Jeff George and Mark Carrier. And Mark Carrier. Yeah. I d- I never felt in the moment, oh, they're doing this all wrong. I remember being really excited. Well, or, so was I. I mean, I, I promoted the hell out of it in my columns. I, I but you I, know, was, I I thought this was great. There are people that have said to me over the years, oh, no, 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 I, I knew I knew then and there this was the wrong way to build a team. I don't think we knew that. And we didn't know anything about Snyder at that point. That was no, his first offseason. Really. Yeah, we really didn't know what was coming with Snyder. You know what I remember about that preseason? Uh, 
that's when the post, I might want to point out, was like Snyder's house organ, <laughs> and he hated the Washington Times. I mean, I mean, Adam, I mean, really hated the paper. And I remember covering a preseason game, and they gave me a credential to cover the game in a room downstairs in the stadium to watch it on TV. Are you serious? This is a preseason For game. For the preseason? Yes. What did yes. you, what did you and do? I had to fill out a form. Uh, my name, my affiliation, although they knew who I was and why I was there. And then it said, type a credential, and I wrote shitty. <laughs> <laughs> you did? Yes. Did you hear back from anybody? No. No. Who was the PR but, person uh, back then? I don't remember who it was, but uh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Stuck me in a room in the basement <laughs> to watch it on TV, a preseason game. Well, that is, you know, the, and there have been a lot of those stories, as we know, over the years, but that's unbelievable. That's the first year, you know, and already they've got the, yeah. you know, they've got the arrogance in the in the PR department. I, I, I wasn't meanwhile, working in broadcasting, he, but yeah. Meanwhile, he's buying cake for the Post uh, columnists. Birthday cakes for the post columnists <laughs> and presenting them in the press box. And and were they being accepted? Oh yes. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, I, I thought that Rivera soundbite from yesterday was uh, was interesting, and I and I think it's also instructive on a player like Apke. I do, and I think it's actually instructive on a player like Dax Milne and even Isaiah Wright. I mean, I don't know how they keep Wright, but Milne for sure, to me, seems like worst case comes back to the practice squad. Um, so, okay, so is it instructive about the coach that when he likes a guy, you should pay attention to it because he's not going to give up on a guy quick? Uh, I think so – he said something about Landon Collins. He was very complimentary about Landon Collins yesterday, too. In fact, he was very complimentary about Landon Collins in the way he's adapted to the scheme, uh, adapted to his teammates, adapted to the culture. I don't think culture was the word used, but I forget what the word – it was essentially implying that Landon Collins has really bought in. Because, Tommy, it's, it wasn't just the injury. Um, you know, If I go back four months – I would tell you that even if Landon Collins is super healthy and maybe they're hoping he gets super healthy, I don't know that he's going to be on this team next year. Because I believe that there was some concern about whether or not Landon Collins was going to become a huge Rivera guy. And the one thing we know is Rivera wants you to join the cult of Ron Rivera. And I'm I'm using that obviously, not uh, literally. But they want you on board with this culture um, renovation. And he basically said, not only is Landon Collins healthy and playing well, but he's also, you know, he's figured it out. And he's impressed us with all the other stuff as well. So, yes, I think a lot of these guys, I think a guy like Troy Apke, who plays hard, and he's flawed because, as Cooley described, you know, literally year one of Apke when they drafted him out of Penn State in the fourth round, he said he's got major depth perception issues. He should not be the free safety. Uh, But he's been a tremendous special teams player, and at corner now, you know, if you watch the game the other night, just individual evaluation, the guy has great speed and really hits. So, 
you know, he seems to be a guy that, you know, Ron Rivera is going to love. I, I'm going to, I'll go out on a limb because I know a lot of the guys that do these 53 man projections and I, I read Ben's religiously. Um, ben didn't have him on his recent 53. I think he might be on, on the 53 Apke because of, of the special teams piece too, which will be important. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, I, I wanted to, um, before I get to my poll, I also just wanted to mention going back to sort of preseason odds. Tim Murray, our good friend, who worked at 980 for several years and now works for the Vizen Network um, out in uh, out in Vegas. It's Brent Musburger's uh, network. Tim hosts a, a show. Aaron, who produces this podcast, Aaron Oster, produces Tim's show. Tim uh, co-hosts uh, a 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time show on Vizen Live. Um, I think you can listen to it, you know, certainly online. It might even be an XM Sirius show. I'm not entirely sure. But Tim's a great guy, one of our good friends. Um, Tim, you really love... Did, did, you, did you see who he co-hosts it with now? I, who? Sean King, the former quarterback uh, for Tampa. Is, but is that his permanent co-host? I think so. I didn't know that. In fact... And and they put it's this is so funny because they put up a picture to promote it and they picture put a picture up of Sean King in an NFL uniform and side by side with the Redskins. With Tim Murray in a Muhlenberg basketball oh, uniform. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh I see it right now. I see it right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- Tim it's played so funny. Tim played division three college basketball. Yeah. Um that is funny. <laughs> uh, that's that's interesting. I didn't you know what? Aaron probably told me, and I just wasn't paying attention. My fault. I, I didn't realize that Sean yeah. King was a permanent co-host with Tim. Anyway, Tim sent me a note last night. He said, you know, the Westgate has – the Westgate's a, a huge sports book out in Vegas. He goes, the Westgate now has Washington as the favorite in the division. Washington at the Westgate is now plus 175 to win the NFC East. Dallas is plus 200. Well, there's one reason for that more than any other reason for that, and that segues into the poll that I put out and the conversation we can have right now. Um, And that is the report that Adam Schefter had out over the weekend that Dak Prescott may not be healthy the entire year. Even though there's, you know, doesn't seem to be much of a threat of him missing games, there appears to be a chance he's never going to be 100% healthy this year. So the question that I put out to callers this morning, and I also put out on my Twitter page at Kevin Sheehan DC in, in the form of a poll, is if Dak Prescott isn't 100% healthy this year, how certain are you that Washington will win the NFC East? And I did that thinking, Tommy, that that the number one answer would be like 100% certain. Like, because that's kind of where I feel a lot of the fans are. Like they're really confident and they're definitely confident that Washington's better than the Giants and the Eagles. So I gave out four options, 100% certain, pretty damn sure, would lean in that direction, still not convinced. My answer would be still not convinced. Because I've already told you, I think this division is totally up for grabs. And there's no result that would shock me. And so um, that wasn't the number one answer, still con- uh, not, still not convinced. But 100% certain came in dead last. 
which at least is encouraging to me that not everybody is delusional about this team right now. Like they haven't fallen head over feet thinking, oh my God, if Dak Prescott isn't healthy, we're going to run away with it. No, only 12.6% said 100% certain. The, uh, the answer that got the most vote, roughly 40%, is that you would lean in that direction of Washington winning the NFC East, which is a reasonable answer. Um, that would seem to be. I'll tell you how. You want to know how I voted? You voted. I don't know how you voted. You voted. Did you vote seriously or, or, or uh, sarcastically? Seriously. Would lean in that direction. I voted pretty damn sure. <laughs> but you don't even I like did. the quarterback. Yeah, I know that. But I think their questions are, I mean, at quarterback now, particularly with the Cowboys and Prescott not being healthy, are are far, are far are just as troubling. If, if the Cowboys have, have as many issues at quarterback as Washington... I like I like Washington. I think they're a more stable organization at this point. Uh, the Giants have a lot of question marks. The Giants could do it, and the Eagles. You talked me into loving the Eagles last time we were on the podcast, and then I got a look at their coaching staff in a preseason game, and I said, "These guys, these guys are uh, that's the last place team I've ever seen." But, but, but none of their starters played. I know that, but their coaches seem clueless. Okay, they seem like I didn't just, watch like, the game. totally lost. It's a new, new, brand new coaching staff, top to bottom. Uh, and I do think Washington has the, the, the most solid roster. And even even if even if Kyle Allen is the quarterback, I still think he'd be effective enough for them to win eight to ten games. What about Taylor Heineke? Well, I think any of them. Okay, um, but beyond—I mean, but, just, but beyond it's just that, so funny. You're just like—you you just seemed like—I don't know. You you seem optimistic, but you aren't optimistic at all about Ryan Fitzpatrick. So it's hard. And I'm still for me. not optimistic I, yeah. because the potential is there for a complete blow-up. Okay. Well, you're pre- you predicted a, pr- a complete blow-up. You predicted essentially but, that he's done. Yeah, but if that happens. I have enough confidence in Taylor Heineke or particularly Kyle Allen mm-hmm. uh, to basically steer this team into 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 success, not dominate, not win all the time, but to compete successfully. Um, DC from Waldorf on Twitter sent me a tweet. Sheehan, I find it interesting that in your breakdown of the game, you spent significantly more time breaking down Heineke's performance and not the starter and your favorite quarterback, Fitzpatrick. Since there is no quarterback competition, why spend so much time on Heineke? Question mark. Um, well, because he played better and because he, you know, we recapped the game and he was the better quarterback in a preseason game against the Cincinnati Bengals where nobody's game planning and a lot of backups are playing. He was the better quarterback the other night. But Fitzpatrick, I'm not concerned about him. I'm not concerned that he's going to lose his job. He's not. He's going to be the starter. Um, And he is my favorite quarterback on this team right now. I think he gives them the best chance. But, you know, I'm not entirely sure about anything with this team. I'm not. I mean, Fitzpatrick to me is an upgrade. Fitzpatrick is going to be interesting and fun to watch. 
He's going to give the team a chance to be more dynamic offensively. But at the same time, I'm certainly not super optimistic that he's going to be good enough to lead them to, you know, 11 wins and in two playoff wins. No, I don't feel that way about Fitzpatrick. I'd, I'd like to see Fitzpatrick rise to the level of being a top half of the league starting quarterback this year, which to me is in question. You know, j- just because he's exciting and just because he's better than what they had last year, which it'd be hard for anybody not to be, um, it doesn't mean that I think, you know, he's like a top 10 quarterback or a top, you know, uh, if he can play. Rivera said the other day, we just, you know, he, he was raving about, you know, the veteran savvy of Fitzpatrick and a guy that can really manage a game. And then he said at the very end, and I played this soundbite yesterday, that, you know, occasionally in practice, though, he's been forcing some throws. Well, yeah, because that's what he does. Yeah. He, t- he takes, he's a massive high risk, high reward quarterback. And he's not a game manager. Which is typically. Typically, not the kind of quarterback you want with a good defensive team. With a what? With a good defensive team. Um, I know what you're saying there. At the same time, you, you by that by that logic, Alex Smith should have been the perfect quarterback with a good defensive team last year. And the well, def- he went five and one, Kevin. Uh, yes, he was. He was five and one, and he played pretty well in a couple of spots, including Pittsburgh in the second half yes. and Detroit against Detroit. That's true. Fair point. But I don't think, you know. Okay, well, this is interesting. Hold on for a second. The comment that he made the other day, Rivera, about you know managing the game. I just thought, well, that's a disconnect with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now he can be a very good distributor. We've seen that before, where the ball gets spread around, it gets out quickly, you know. But he hasn't had a lot of teams that have had a lot of places to distribute the ball over the course of his career, and he might this year. Um, Scott Turner also has an offense that, to me, doesn't speak to managing the game offense. You know, managing the game doesn't mean conservative. So let me move away from that in my own mind. Um, but I just don't see Fitzpatrick as the Alex Smith game-managing quarterback that just has more physical capability. And I'm wondering if Ron Rivera does. Look, this is just me. Uh, late at night, when Ron Rivera is in the throes of passion with his wife, I still think he silently says the name to himself. Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I'm sure Stephanie's really appreciative of that. Um, well, right. He doesn't hear it. it. It's rolling around in his head. You know what? Those, Kyle. Kyle. In all seriousness, though, he's, he made that comment the other day, and I played it yesterday, and I, I, I heard it, and I said, game manager, managing the game, I don't know, that was a bit of a disconnect for me when I think about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then he said at the end, we just he force he forces some throws sometimes in practice. And, you know, as if to say we gotta get rid of that. Well, that's sort of what he's been his entire career. Are you gonna change 
his spots at 37 years old and ask well, you have him to admit. Go ahead. and ask him to be an Alex Smith distributor check down, get it to the playmakers, let them make plays, don't make any mistakes, except that, you know, this guy will be able to stand upright for 17 games or, or more? Maybe that's what no, they're thinking. Can't. I don't know. You have to admit, though, uh, when it comes to the playoffs, he plays a lot different. <laughs> uh, you know, he yeah. plays a lot differently when in a playoff game. He does. I mean, he just really he really hunkers down and and manages <laughs> that playoff game. Um, I'm I'm being serious here. You've made me think about something be, in putting it in together. With, I I wonder if they just think they got. Another super savvy, smart veteran leader like Alex, but a guy that doesn't have all of these health problems. Ryan Fitzpatrick throughout the course of his career, stylistically, has been the opposite of Alex Smith. Alex Smith they created at Pro Football Focus an Alex Smith checkdown statistic. He's the king of all time. I know many of you thought Kirk was. No, he wasn't. Alex Smith was the king of the check down. And Ryan Fitzpat, and by the way, they've got good weapons to check it down to. There's nothing wrong with checking a ball down on second and eight to J.D. McKissick or Antonio Gibson or maybe Curtis Samuel whenever he decides he's going to be ready to play. It won't be his decision, but hopefully he's healthy uh, healthy enough to play. But I wonder if somehow... Ryan Fitzpatrick said, I got a really good team here. I got a really good defense. I met uh, uh, this team that I'm talking to, honey, and my 11 children. (laughs) I was talking to the coach. They got a really good defense. They're going to add some playmakers on offense. Um, Scott, you know, is is North's son, really seems sharp. And Alex, look what they did with Alex last year. Alex was five and one. He, He can't, he could barely even walk. But he, you know, they 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 designed something for him, and it it worked. And I can take that to the next level. I can I can dial my game back a little bit. With that said, just just in happening. two preseason games, he's been chucking it down the field. So yeah. I don't. It's gonna. You know what? I'll tell you what. If the defense turns out to be what everybody hopes it is, you are correct. On one, on uh, to a certain extent, you are correct that what you absolutely can't do, if you've got a defense that's really dominant, is keep putting them back on the field to face another team on a short field, with turnovers, and with bad plays. And Fitzpatrick, you know, certainly for all the big plays, and he makes a lot of them, has had over his career an equal number of bad plays. Not necessarily in the last two years. But, you know, for his career. If they were looking for just a healthier version of Alex Smith, uh, they picked the wrong guy, I think. And I think the right guy would be more Kyle Allen. Yeah. If healthy. But Taylor Heineke, (laughs) Taylor Heineke, to me, is Ryan Fitzpatrick stylistically. I haven't seen enough of him, to be honest with you. Well, the f- six quarters that we've seen, five quarters that we've seen. I mean, he, you know, Garcia was my original comp, but you know, Fitzpatrick has some of that uh, Garcia. It's just Garcia yeah. was much uh, more athletic. Anyway, um, 
So uh, the final results of the poll, not final results, but however many votes were in, I'll check it right now, uh, over 1,500 votes in, there are 39.4% that just say that if Dak Prescott isn't 100% healthy, they would lean in the direction of Washington winning the division. 25.4% said they're pretty damn sure Washington would win the division. 22.5% agree with me that they wouldn't, they're still not convinced. And 12.7%, which I thought was going to be much higher, is people saying they're they're 100% certain. Okay. um, I want to talk about a preseason game that I did watch uh, some of last night. Um, and talk about the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. When we come back, maybe a couple of other things from Tommy as well, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dan Marino, the great Dan Marino, Tommy, was on with the sports junkies on Monday um, talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, saying that he thinks Fitzpatrick is the perfect fit for Washington and for Ron Rivera. He said, quote, Fitz was with us for the last two years, meaning in Miami, and I love the guy, and I think he's an incredible player. Uh, As for what he does and what he brings to the team, the excitement every day, how he works, he's smart, he understands, he's been around, so he's going to be a great addition for Washington, especially even just in the locker room and dealing with the coaches, just being a professional, being a professional. That's what he is. Um, I want to see him have a lot of success personally because we became friends. I love him as a player, and he hasn't been in a playoff game yet in his whole career. So I want to see him get to the playoffs and win a game. That was from Dan Marino on Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I okay. watched I watched some of the Monday night um, uh, preseason game on ESPN between the Saints and Jacksonville. And one of the reasons I watched it is, I, you know, some of you know this, I'm, I'm just a Jameis Winston fan. I've always been a Jameis Winston fan. I thought that draft, when he came out, I thought he was better than Mariota. I thought he was going to be a really good NFL quarterback. And obviously, you know, it's not turned out that way for him over the course of his career. And in 2019, he had that year with Tampa um, where he threw 33 touchdowns and 30 uh, interceptions. Um which, of course, was the first time, you know, uh, a quarterback had done that. And 
I, I don't know. Like I thought that that was going to be the breakout year because he finally had a head coach in Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. Remember, that was his first year there, too, being the defensive coordinator. By the way, uh, as an aside, after he came up here and met with Doug Williams, um, and Doug Williams tried to, uh, tried to convince him to come here, and he said, nah, I don't think I want to come here. I'll go to Tampa. Uh, and Todd Bowles obviously ends up winning a Super Bowl last year as the defensive coordinator. Uh, of the Buccaneers. Now that 2019 season where Winston um, threw 33 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, it's it's really one of the more interesting non-playoff team seasons in recent NFL history because, yeah, Winston's 30 interceptions ultimately cost them more than anything else. He also had nine fumbles during the course of the year. So he was responsible for 39 turnovers, 33 touchdown passes. But Winston's year that year was just incredible. Um, He threw for over 5,000 yards. He threw the 33 touchdowns. Um, He, uh, he, you know, uh, uh, I think he threw like 62% or something like that completion percentage. Um, Had a really strong uh, passer rating. The QBR obviously was down because of the turnovers. But Tampa was like in every game they played that year, Tommy. They had one of the real strange years. They went 7-9. and They didn't make the postseason that year. But my God, did they score points that year with Winston at quarterback. They beat the Rams 55-40 to in a game. And the Rams were good. You know, that was the Rams coming off the, uh, the, the Super Bowl, a loss to the Patriots. They beat the Rams 55-40. to They were scoring points and big points all season long. They went 7-9. and Their losses included... Two in overtime, a three-point loss, a a four-point loss, a seven-point loss, a one-point loss. They were so close, even with his 30 interceptions, to being a much better team that year. Anyway, move to New Orleans, and there's this quarterback battle between him and Taysom Hill. Last night, it's a preseason game. All of the, you know, things that I've said about the preseason still apply. With that said, Jameis Winston went out there in three drives, threw two touchdown passes, two bombs uh, to uh, uh, Marquez Calloway, who had a great catch, two great catches for touchdowns. And I'm just sitting there watching Winston with Sean Payton, you know, as his coach and his offensive guru. And I'm thinking, how the hell could Taysom Hill be in this battle? Taysom Hill can't throw the football. I mean, it's one thing for him to be in there for the special packages with Drew Brees and to start a game when Brees was hurt. And he played pretty well, but he's a running athletic quarterback. He can't throw the ball. Jameis Winston is 6'4", 230, can make every single throw, has really incredible leadership skills, which I'm going to get to here in a moment. And with the right coaching and the right scheme, and by the way, they have an outstanding offensive line. They've got Alvin Kamara on that team. They've got Michael Thomas, who won't be you know part of the team early on. They have an excellent defense. He's this can't be a legitimate competition. If Jameis Winston isn't well, the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, something's gotten something's wrong with Sean Payton. He's got some sort of illness, and it's mental. Joe Banner, Joe Banner tweeted the former uh, Philadelphia uh, front office. You only throw for 5,000 yards if you were playing from behind a lot, which happened often because they couldn't move the ball 
or had an early turnover. Yeah. He's not a he's not a Jameis Winston fan. Yeah, that's not true though. You know, I, I like when the, the, some of those things happen when they're not true. You know, um, I'll go through it right now because he's talking about the 2019 season, which I just referenced. Okay, um, Winston's biggest games, which included you know, w- which helped lead to 5,000 yard, 5,100 yards passing. He threw for 380 against the Giants, okay? A game that they had a 28-10 lead at halftime. Okay, 400 yards, 385, um, 380 against the Giants, 28-10. 385 against the Rams in a 55-40 win. Uh, In a game um, against, uh, hold on, let me move down here on the schedule. 301 against the Tennessee Titans, a game that was back and forth the entire way. Tennessee scored late after being behind to beat them 27-23. Seattle, 335 yards passing. They blew a 21-7 lead in that game and lost in overtime 40-34. He threw for 313 in a 35-22 win, 456 in a 38-35 win, 458 in a 38-17 win, 335 in a game at the end of the year that they were tied in the fourth quarter and lost on a late field goal. So, sorry, Joe Banner, you just made that up. That's not why he threw for 5,100 yards. In that season, which I just went through, again, they only were in one, two, three games the entire year that were uh, three losses, three losses that were by um, uh, by 10 points or more. Every other game was a nail-biting game that they lost or they won the game. So Joe Banner's wrong. He just doesn't like Jameis Winston, okay. and he tried to he made something up to fit uh, to fit his uh, opinion. Now, let me tell you why I liked. I, I always liked Jameis Winston. I look there. There were some issues with him at Florida State. I understand that. I'm not. I'm not talking about the crab legs from from Publix. That story's been pretty much. There was more than that. Oh, I know. I said I'm not talking about the crab legs. I know there was okay. a lot more than that. Okay, with yeah. with him there. The crab leg story's pretty much been vetted over the years. That supermarket was giving free seafood and free product to players, but he had to fall on his sword because if he admitted that they were getting free stuff, it would have been a violation against Florida State. Um, But I've told you this before. I'm pretty sure I know I've said it on the podcast before. The day that Tampa Bay signed Tom Brady... I was listening to Mad Dog Radio. I was listening to Mad Dog, Chris Mad Dog Russo. And he had on a columnist from Tampa Bay. And I forget his name, Tommy. Who's a big columnist from Tampa Bay? Well, I don't know. Okay. Uh, At this point, at this stage, I don't know who they are anymore. Whatever. Used to be Gary Shelton. It might have been it. I don't know. So I'm listening to it. I'll never forget this interview because I was sitting there and I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. And... He went on and on, and by the way, ultimately was supported by the reaction from the town, his coaches, and players when he left and Tom Brady was signed. But basically, this this columnist, or I think it was a columnist, was saying, you know, this is a happy day for Tampa Bay, but it's also a sad day. 
obviously everybody's excited about Tom Brady coming to Tampa and no one would want anything other than Tom Brady to be your quarterback. But it's a very sad day too because very much a beloved member of the Buccaneers and the community is going to be leaving and that's Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston was one of the most respected and loved players on that team and in the community. And he went on and on about how every single coach, you know, when he would talk to them about Jameis, they loved him. And they hated that he was throwing all those interceptions because they thought he was so talented and they wanted the interceptions coached out of him and they thought they could win with him in the whole thing, but they loved him. His teammates loved him. He's always been a locker room favorite and a locker room leader going back to Florida State. Now, I know Jimbo Fisher had some issues with him. But anyway, I remember listening to that and then looking at the reaction, and I'm like, I always liked the player, but now I like him more. I think this is the perfect fit for him. I think that if he gets a chance, which he has to get a chance, Taysom Hill can't be the starting quarterback. I mean, it's not just because of what I saw last night. It's because Taysom Hill can't throw the freaking football. And if Jameis starts throwing picks and turning it over, well, then you you can come back to Taysom Hill. But you got a pretty good team in New Orleans. It's probably the best offensive line in football. And, and they've got weapons. Now, Michael Thomas is going to miss part of the year early. But they've got one of the best backs in football. They've got a really good defense. I don't know. I'm rooting for him. Last night, he threw two touchdown passes, one against a blind side, you know, no-blocked blitz where he let it go perfectly. He's so gifted and so talented. He did, he did get LASIK surgery in the offseason. Maybe that'll help. Um, I don't know. I don't think it helps color blindness, though, if you're throwing to the wrong colored hat over and over again. But I hope he gets the opportunity, and I would expect that he will. Okay. That's all you got? Just, you know, he, okay. was, he was suspended three games in 2018 by the NFL uh, because of a groping incident of a female Uber driver. Right. That's not in college. That's in Tampa. Right. So at least there's one, there's one Tampa fan who wasn't a particular Jameis Winston fan. Right. Yep. Are you done fawning over the guy? I just want to see him. I've predicted for two years now. I want to be right. Um, I've predicted for two years now when Bruce Arians came in, I said he's going to resurrect this guy's career and he's going to have a second act to his professional career. Let me just tell you, Tommy, he was one of the guys I would have loved. I just knew that Sean Payton wasn't going to let him go. But when we were talking after the season ended, I'm like, Jameis Winston, give me him in a heartbeat. But I, but he wasn't a realistic you know, get because – after being there last year, I think he realized, I want to play for Sean Payton, and I want to play for this team. But the, the fact that they keep promoting and talking competition, uh, I just I, I think ultimately it's one of those competitions that there's no chance that the, you know, uh, that, that Taysom Hill gets a chance to be the, the, the starting quarterback, unless he starts throwing picks all over the building, which is always possible. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, congratulations, Tony Finau. One of the most well-liked guys on the PGA Tour finally won for the first time yesterday in a playoff. Uh, I was happy for him. That was awesome to watch. Um, you don't care about golf. Let me golf. just mention, yeah. no, I don't particularly care about yeah. golf. But this is this is birthday icons, icon birthday. Sonny Jurgensen. Uh, yesterday, happy birthday, Sonny. Today, Cal Ripken. Wow. Happy birthday, Cal Ripken. 
Happy birthday to both. Happy birthday, Sonny. Um, we miss you. Uh, that's for sure. One of my favorite things all time in broadcasting was on that pregame show every Sunday. Uh, yeah. my, my, my segment that was supposed to be 10 minutes and very often turned into 25 with Sonny Jurgensen uh, every Sunday uh, before the games. I love that. Um, all right. Is that it? That's it, boss. Okay. Uh, will you be with me on Thursday? I'll be there. I'll be I'll broadcasting live from uh, uh, Bethany Beach. Awesome. Back to Bethany goes Tommy. Uh, back tomorrow, I think, there's a possibility there won't be a podcast tomorrow because I will be doing one this weekend following the final preseason game. Uh, but um, uh, there is a potential guest, and he may only be able to do tomorrow, so there's a chance there will be a podcast tomorrow. It's sort of 50-50 right now, kind of like the Washington football team this year, in my view. Have a great day, great evening, back whenever we're back. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.